review. It's first and inches. Our football team was like the kid that plays second French horn in the school band. We got to play better. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. He had shoulder surgery on his elbow. Shoulder, shoulder, shoulder surgery on his elbow. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We got to consider that. The kids are playing their tail off, and the coaches are screwing it up. If worms had machine guns, then birds wouldn't be scared of them. Downfield wide opens Gallon. They left him alone. Yeah, I don't know if anybody saw me trip on the way in. Anybody see that? <laughs> A lesser athlete would have gone down. Welcome back, tired sports fans. After a long couple weeks of Christmas cookies, bowl games, couches, obviously couch naps, I'm Kevin Wise. He's Patrick Smith. We are First and in Inches, brought to you by Milwaukee Tool. Nothing but heavy duty. Patrick, how are you? Bad. Yes, uh, we are now embark on a new journey this season, which is podcasting as uppercase L losers. Do do people do this? Do people podcast after a loss? It, I I've only been doing it for about forty three seconds, and it feels pretty crummy. Yeah, it's it's definitely not as good as um, podcasting after uh, a win, especially when there is no more game to play. For redemption. I mean, there's next year. That's pretty neat. There's always next year. Maybe next year. That would be fun. So, obviously, that is what we now, the two sad Wolverines we are, have to look forward to is next year. And this one feels different than last year. Last year... I was excited to be there. Yeah. I was just excited to get invited to the party. Look at the crowds. Look at the people. I was like, look, look at all the cool kids having fun. I get to go this time. This will be great. This year, I thought I was cool. This year, I spent all year thinking about the outfit I was going to wear. I picked it out. I texted my friends to make sure it looked good. Strategized. I even maybe thought about the next party a little bit like the after party yeah a little bit and the hypno toad stomped on those dreams the hypno toad lives on the hypno toad i i may have written off the hypno toad a little bit the hypno toad is a magical being but i cannot be pulling harder for the Hypno Toad, the Fighting Max Duggins, the Coach of the Year Sonny Dykes, the Megatron Johnstons on the outside. I want the Horn Frogs all the way now. Oh, yeah. I mean, you aren't going to find bitter Michigan fans on this podcast. We are Horn Frog 
hypno toad purple blood through and through for the next 10 days and then i'll probably go back to having a little sour grapes about the whole thing and i'm calling on my brothers and sisters from the acc from the big 12 from the pac 12 and the rest of the big 10 we have to put a stop to this sec madness it's madness it's madness and it needs to end and if you are a ACC, let's say you're a Wisconsin fan, maybe a fan of one of those schools on the West Coast, you don't have a single good reason to be rooting for Georgia. And no one likes you if you are. If you didn't go to Georgia and you're rooting for Georgia, no one likes you. You're not a college football fan if you root for Georgia. Come on. That being said, Georgia by a million. Why don't we save that for a little bit? We'll talk a little bit about Georgia. We'll talk a little bit about TCU. We'll talk a little bit about your first and inches lock national champion, maybe. Um, but why don't we talk a little bit about the semifinals first? Uh, you want to start with pain or you you want to start with relief? Just get it over with. Just 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 finish the pain off. We're we're already there. All right. So uh Michigan received to start this game. Uh Michigan ripped off a really nice drive to start this game. Looked really good, moved the ball all the way down the field, got to the red zone, and then the trouble for Michigan started. Uh, you know, got down into inside the five yard line. Couldn't get the ball over the goal line, decide to go for it on fourth down. And we see kind of the first glimpse of Michigan not really looking like themselves in this game, running a Philly special that was covered from the get-go. JJ was not open. The play was covered. Uh, turnover on downs, and it, that's where it kind of started. And this leads into the first tactical you know, slash strategic question I have re regarding this one. And it's something actually that stretches back a couple games, which is short yardage situation management on offense. Um, I'm a little bit confused. There must be something going on at practice that we haven't been seeing because obviously Donovan Edwards came out with um, his hand still splinted, specifically his right thumb. However, he was pretty effective like that against Ohio State. I know that obviously limits him catching the ball, but also when he runs the ball, it limits which side he can run to because you don't have the ball in that inside hand. But he is a very talented running back. We have an extremely talented offensive line. And even going back to the Ohio State game, we're bringing in a linebacker to run these short yardage downs. Now, after we had the halfback pass that he threw, it somewhat justified that at least in that moment when we only used him once or twice on a run and you got that pass play off and it worked. I did not expect to ever see that again. I thought this was all set up for that reason. I, we, um, so my, my first question is, why are we not running Diamond Edwards on these short yarded situations? If we have I the think, ball on the two-yard line, run him three or four times. I mean, I think they're, in my opinion, uh, and, and I, no one said this out loud, but this is just from watching the plays pretty closely as a really nervous Michigan fan. 
I think that Michigan didn't trust Donovan Edwards ball security in big piles at the goal line on short yardage plays where people are swiping at his arm. There were several plays, and I don't know how many people caught this, but I definitely saw plays where as Donovan was getting hit and going to the ground, that ball is moving all around in his right arm. And, and you know, it's solely because of the cast. I mean, he can't grip it with his thumb to hold it tight as, it's, as he's going down to the ground. And there were a few plays where the ball spurted out after he hit the ground um, and a couple plays where he kind of had to recollect the ball. And I remember texting a couple of my buddies throughout the game, like, oh, man, like he's going to fumble. Um, so I think that maybe that was the thought from Michigan, but still, I I mean, I'm not saying that I agree with the answer being pulling your linebacker in to run all these short yardage plays and maybe he was just crushing it in practice and they were executing to a T. Um, but, but what were you thinking before I get into what I think the real answer should have been to Michigan's short yardage situations in this game? So first of all, quick clarification before we get the the emails and stuff. Um, His right arm is his dominant arm, and that's the one that was immobilized. He was carrying with his left arm, which is his non-dominant arm. Um, My question, that makes Not always, though. He did switch the ball into his casted arm quite a bit still. Yeah, so that makes a lot lot of sense to me, and I think that is the um, most likely reason that that they were they were limiting him however if you're telling me that you have the best offensive line in the country your star running back you don't like my short situations what's the next option your next running back i just don't i don't understand it cj stokes there's clearly a talent drop off between him and cj stokes however you just smash them in the mouth i don't get it especially when you have multiple chances why we're getting cute and doing that, whatever. What's the third option? Maybe even the second option? Run J.J. McCarthy. That is the first option every time. You have an extremely mobile quarterback. So that really confused me. The first one, I was nervous about when, you know, when when we got cute and did the the Philly special. I was like, that's really weird. I don't know why, why we would be doing that. And that made me nervous because it was like, they are clearly concerned about something in these short yarded situations that, that I'm not aware of because that for me came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, there is a simple answer for Michigan on those type of plays. Everyone across the country is doing it and no one can stop it. You do the QB sneak where you motion a guy behind him. Everyone pushes the quarterback from behind. Tell me if you give Michigan two chances at that behind their offensive line that they're not getting a full yard and a half. Like every team is doing it. It's a third and one, a fourth and one play. It gets you a plus. It'll even get you more than a yard. Like it's an easy answer. And and I was pretty shocked that Michigan's coaching staff didn't at least try that. I mean, I've seen it everywhere. It works. Um, so I was frustrated that we didn't see that play specifically. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you saw this kind of go from bad to worse for Michigan as they try, um, the run with, uh, the same play, um, where they hand it off to Mullings as he goes through the line, he fumbles right at the one yard line and Michigan goes up another seven shortly after. Yeah. And, and the frustrating part to me is whenever it feels like something is extremely obvious as still a college football fan who may watch a lot of college football but is still a novice compared to these coaches right when I saw us use Mullings against Ohio State my first reaction was 
I know this guy probably played running back and quarterback in high school, just like all these guys did. I totally, I get that. It's not like I never, I, I played football. Okay. I get that your most athletic guys are playing those positions growing up. He hasn't gotten those hundreds of reps running with the football for years. I would feel nervous even having him touch the ball ever. He's going to put the ball on the ground. Like, yeah, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to fumble it. He's going to throw a pick. He's going to do something goofy. He's not going to be able to take us. How many times have we seen in a wildcat that, that the running back can't even handle the snap because he just doesn't get that many snaps. It's just like anything else in life. It's a skill that you haven't had a lot of reps on recently. So you're not going to be very good at it. So even when I saw them do that against Ohio state, I was like, man, I don't know. That seems like a high risk for a low reward. The reward yeah. is a is a run that a lot of people can complete, and the risk is a turnover when you're on a on a very good position on the field. So I just did I didn't like that. I said that against Ohio State. You know, next time we have Trevor on, he was literally sitting next to me, and I was like, dude, don't give it to this guy anymore. He's gonna put the ball on the ground. The next game, they run him and he drops the ball. So that re- that really confused me. Um, so I, I guess we can put that. We'll compartmentalize the game. First thing. What are we doing on short yardage? I, I didn't get that. It was just Michigan making it more complicated than it needed to be. I mean, we've watched all year. We have plays to convert on those situations. You, you don't need to. And I know we talked about the Philly special, but I have to harp on it again. When you decide to go for it on fourth down inside the five-yard line, half of the benefit there is scoring the touchdown. The other half of the benefit is pinning them at their own two-yard line where they can't even play the next play. By running the Philly special and losing five or six yards, Michigan gave away every tactical advantage it had on the down chance that they didn't convert. You cannot call that play. You can't call a pass. You can't call a drop back. You can't call a deep, slow developing play because the only your backup plan there is that is a great one and you gave it away. You know I am all over that. I could not agree more. If you have the ball. And I want, I really want, if I could find one, you know, study ran like a, you know, this is the resonance coming out in us, a randomized control trial. I'm telling you, I, I could not feel more strongly. There is a critical yardage within the five yard line that if you are within, I don't know if it's at the, the two, the two and a half, the three, three and a half carry on where you have a tactical advantage of always running the football, because even if you don't score if you pin them within their own two you are still the most likely team to score next so it it is advantageous for you to pin them now we yeah when you run the philly special or you get sacked and you bring it out to the eight there's no big difference between eight and the 12 anymore but there's a big difference between the one and the two or the two and the three i mean the quarterback is taking the snap in the end zone I mean, look at, I mean, all you have to do is look at the way teams play football games to get the confirmation that you know that we're right here. Uh, where do punt returners and kick returners put their heels nowadays instead of at the 10 yard line? They always put their heels at the five yard line. They'll catch the ball anywhere between the five and 10 because they know how devastating it is to have possession inside your own five yard line. They'll take the ball at the five every single time to not risk taking it at the three because that destroys all of your offensive production. That drive, it cuts your playbook probably by 80%. Um, and you're stuck with running very vanilla offense. The defense knows what's coming, capitalizes on the next drive by getting the ball at their own 40 or 50, and then that flips the game on its head. And Michigan gave away its advantage just 
on a dime there. And it was a real bummer because I think if Michigan doesn't score on a run play, a QB sneak, something simple, Michigan probably gets the ball back at like their 30 with a great chance for another dominant offensive drive to go up 7-0. If, if you don't put enough pressure on them to make a turnover, a stupid play, or a safety. So, you know, that was... um. That was frustration number one. And for me, um, number one, obviously always credit TCU. You know, TCU has great players. Sonny Dykes has proven he's a great coach. um, And they have great game plans, obviously. Their defense caused massive problems for Michigan, especially in the run game. Michigan could not figure out how to handle that 3-5. It took way more than the whole game. Um, and, And really, like... I think we get into kind of the second chapter of the game, which was where Michigan fell so far behind the eight ball that defensively they had to play a little bit of havoc. And you saw it. It was glaringly obvious. Michigan started blitzing on nearly every down, just pressuring and pressuring and pressuring Duggan and hoping that they could go quick play, quick play, quick play, three and out, get the ball back. And it worked really well for a period. But every time it seemed to be working, you saw TCU rip off that big chunk play as Duggan barely escapes the blitz and you you ended up trading like three and outs for 90 yard touchdowns for a little while defensively. Yeah. I mean, it, it was the, it was the dichotomy of utilization of similar resources in the sense that both teams have a mobile quarterback. What team was utilizing it earlier in the game to extend drives and get first downs? TCU was. Oh, dude. I mean, that killed me. The fact that Michigan just so glaringly refused to use JJ's legs early in the game, and then suddenly when they were behind the eight ball, they're like, okay, our best option is JJ's legs. If your best option is JJ's legs, that needs to be worked into your offense throughout the whole game so you don't end up down. And people, and I think people forget who didn't really watch a ton of these the biggest game on Michigan schedule was definitely Ohio State okay and let's be honest about it that was a game until those long runs it was not like Michigan was up 20 the whole game no no this was Michigan was down in the first half they um basically had a close game but a lead in the third quarter until it ripped off those big runs Michigan had a stranglehold on the vibe of the game but not on the scoreboard because they had to claw back a little bit what were some of the big plays those JJ runs he ran a touchdown in he got the first down on on that run up the sideline where where he carried a couple defenders with him I don't expect JJ McCarthy to run for even 80 yards okay but what I do want him to do is third and eight Get a first down. Extend drives. That that's you know what 35 I mean. Thirty five yards on the ground. That's what I'm looking for. And and it's, like, it's not that JJ's not doing it. It's just not worked uh, consciously into the game plan yeah. until Michigan gets in sticky situations. Yeah. And that is a phenomenal game pl- game plan all year when you're protecting your quarterback's health for the long haul. But when you're in the semifinals, maybe use his legs a little bit early and open up your offense. And it just seemed like in terms of Michigan doing such a great job on offense this year of being patient and really using our players as chess pieces and saying, I'm going to make the keep the defense honest doing this and I'm going to make it wear on them often with the run game. What I wanted, what I wanted to see early was when they were stopping the run game, say, okay, listen, we're going to throw the ball down the field a little bit more. You know how we're going to occupy one more guy. 
I'm going to run JJ two or three times and I'm going to at least make them keep one more guy as a spy. Okay. That's one less guy they can drop into coverage just as a numbers game. I'm going to make sure at least they're keeping one extra guy as a spy. They can choose if that's going to be a, a linebacker or if they want to use like a nickelback for that or something, or if they're going to go and, and take out one of the linebackers and bring one more DB in. I don't care what they do, but I'm going to at least say, you got to prove you can stop this. You got to put one guy in there and we just, you know, we, we didn't. So that was, that was a little frustrating to me. And then it was like the, the, the running game, you know, it seemed like we, abandon the running game quickly and all of a sudden I look up and TCU's doubled us up in rushing yards I was like what what's going on here yeah I mean and and definitely big frustrations from both of us with Michigan in this game but there was a period where Michigan really did kind of turn it around and um I mean, even in a really bad performance for Michigan in this game there was a large portion of this game where Michigan looked the better team um, in my opinion, and I don't think that's much of a stretch. I mean, Michigan clawed its way back from way down in this game and got neck and neck with TCU. Um, and then the big plays started exchanging. You know, the end of that third quarter, there was like four touchdowns in four minutes or something like that. Um, pick six, one of them, big plays from both teams. Um, and it got pretty electric there for a minute. Um, I don't know. Do you want to you know, talk a little bit about TCU, a little bit about Michigan, or should we dive into the refs a little bit? I mean, we do need to talk about the refs at least a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll just say this as a do I th- – well, I guess we can talk about the refs first. I mean, let me, let me start with something to preface the refs. I don't think Michigan lost this game because of the refs. Michigan clearly – choked away this game in a ton of ways um, and played their worst game of the year at the worst time and did not look themselves throughout large portions of this game and lost the game. But I will say that I think it was like a two hit thing that beat Michigan in this game. And I think if Michigan survived two of those calls that I think were fairly awful against Michigan, I think they win the game. And I think if Michigan didn't make huge mistakes, like throw two pick six or fumble at the inch line, then I think they win the game. So I think that it took both of those things to beat Michigan, and that's why I want to talk about the refs a little bit. But it wasn't just, you know, Michigan lost the game. But I think the refs played a role. I can just never blame the refs. It, it doesn't matter how egregious it is. That's just, it, I refuse to blame the refs. Um, I Do I think it was a well-officiated game? No. Um, Michigan deserved to lose this game. Bottom line. Bottom line. I mean, I, I completely agree. The, I do. I think the officiating was poor. Yes. Do I think it, it played an outcome in the game? No. I think that it was just poor all around. And um, mi- more than anything, I think Michigan just got out coached. That's what probably hurt the most too. Yeah. Is that I felt I, like I would multiple agree. times this year where it just like the second half, we just didn't have that second half like edge. I thought when we came out and scored right away in the second half, I was like, oh, oh, here we, here we come. There were multiple times where like my juices were flowing. I was like, oh, we got this. And, and it came down to, I agree about the second hit thing, but not from the refs, from the JJ pick sixes, poor play calling. And then finally, the one thing I want to talk about too, did did we just stop doing open field tackling drills for a month? I mean, that was just, I could not, I mean, I'll even go as far as say this. 
DJ Turner tackles Johnston, we probably win the game. Oh, 100%, dude. That was like there so, there were it, it, to me to me JJ even you can throw one of the pick sixes. If JJ throws one of those pick sixes, if, if DJ Turner makes that tackle or if you just convert one of the two goal line situations, one of two. Yeah. If any of those things happen, probably win the game. But you just can't TCU there was... is a good TCU is a good team. You can't make that many mistakes and still beat a good team. Okay. Um, we definitely can't talk this much about the fumble at the goal line without talking about the context of the play, which I think was one of the worst calls to go against Michigan the whole year. I mean, I I don't want to talk much more about the refs affecting the game, but I would like to talk about a couple of the specific calls because I think they were interesting. Sure. And this was a play where um, immediately coming off of a pick six, um, we'll go through the full timeline here in order. So immediately Michigan gets the pick. Sorry, not a pick six. Michigan gets the interception. Uh, Michigan comes out on offense. This is something that came out after the fact kind of online um, and then later on the broadcast. But the refs grossly misspot the ball by about a good two and a half or three yards be uh, further back from Michigan. They spot closer to Michigan's own end zone. Um, the next play, Michigan goes deep on a bomb to Roman Wilson, where his butt kind of goes down right around the goal line, one yard line balls kind of in his arms as he goes down. There's a little bobble catches the ball as his back's kind of crossing into the, uh, into the end zone refs call a touchdown play goes under review to see if he was down. Uh, very interesting review here, Kev. Uh, what did you think about what you saw on that play? So this is where I, I do, I have to, I will always try to admit my shortcomings. I don't have a copy of the NCAA rule book. I have seen things online that, let me, I'll play devil's advocate for both sides. I saw things online that said when, you know, a screenshot saying that when the player's knee touches the ground is where the ball will be spotted regardless of when the player gains control based on that yes he would be short however that rule doesn't make a ton of sense to me if it is the case because then my knee could be down I could be bobbling the ball out of bounds and then it would still be a catch so to me those rules are in disagreement in the sense that if he's still bobbling it, what does it matter if his knee touched? It would be where his knee is once he gains control of the ball, which was in the end zone. And the last part is probably the most egregious part of that specific call to me was that it was reversed. That was probably the most difficult part. And that's why I didn't think, because when I saw it live, I was like, this is close, but I don't think it can be reversed. If they called it on the one in the field, they would have said the play stands. I thought the play would have just stood. And and I'm going to come out a little stronger than you. That rule that I saw the same stuff online. That's a different section of the rule book referring to a different situation. When a receiver goes to make a catch and goes to the ground during the process of that catch, he needs to complete that catch. Um, just like going out of bounds. If you bobble the ball as you're going out of bounds, like you said, you're out of bounds. If you get possession once you're out of bounds you're out of bounds when if you get possession once you're in the end zone you're in the end zone 
Um, you can't make a catch until you have possession. And if you bobble the ball, you haven't completed the catch yet. He did not control the ball until he completely possessed the ball. And you can't do that in a catch in an instant. Um, if you if the ball hits your hands and you bobble it, you haven't caught it yet. I think everybody knows that. it was, re- and, and yes, completely agree. The most absurd part of the whole call was that it was overturned. Because clearly they were looking at these way zoomed out videos that never really showed when the bobble happened. Like, there was no way to overturn it. I just thought it was crazy and combine it with the fact that the spot was bad. So even if the spot was right, the bobble would have happened in the end zone already. He would have been in the end zone on the play. It's just kind of a crazy set of circumstances that really made it feel like Michigan got screwed big time on that specific play. Yeah. Again, I think in my mind, I try to separate these issues and say, I don't blame the rest for the outcome of that game, but I think that that call was handled poorly. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think that's very well put. Um, And then, uh, I mean, the end of the game was pretty electric. Uh, Michigan um, comes up with a great stand on defense. You know, that situation that happens at the end of every game that I'm sure had all TCU fans pulling their hair out where the offense goes into a hole to try and burn through some timeouts. And really, if you you just need one play to win the game. Uh, But Everyone on the field knows what's coming. Michigan knows what's coming. TCU knows they're going to run Duggan or the running back. Like, And Michigan does what they need to do. They get the ball back. Um, and Michigan has a chance to drive a little bit. Kind of a crazy drive. You know, ends with a fourth down play where Michigan fumbles uh, the snap because JJ's looking towards the sideline. Ball's under the center for a couple of seconds. Somebody, uh, I don't even know who it was. I wish I could give him credit because really heads up play by the Michigan player to kind of scoop the ball back rugby style so somebody can grab it. Michigan starts running a little bit of a scramble drill. Ball ends up in Donovan Edwards' hands as he's got like one arm tackle between him and like a clear arc that might have actually gotten him towards the first down. Um doesn't work out for Donovan. He starts going down from the arm tackle, pitches it to another guy who tries to make some guys miss. Um, I think it was Loveland, right? So, yeah. So the lineman, JJ fumbles. Lineman scoops it up and pretty quickly does a lateral backwards to Edwards. So it's a goofy play because I don't think people consider the fact that Edwards could throw, but that was a heads up play by him. Edwards realizes the ball has not been um, moved yet. forward pass yet. Yeah. So he still has a forward pass available to him. I remember I was watching with some friends and, we, and, there, and a couple people were like, oh man, he's going to, I was like, no, 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 he's, he's eligible to throw. Um, so he throws to Loveland and Loveland then gets hit. Loveland turns to face um, Michigan inside of the ball to find somebody to pitch to. Yep. And um, the TCU defensive player, as Lovin's going down, and he was, I'll give them this, he was not standing straight up. He was coming towards the ground. Loveland was definitely going down. Has what appears to be um, a, uh, a tackle leading with his helmet, contacting a combination of the shoulder pads and back of Loveland's helmet. Yep, you know, you definitely saw on this hit, I mean, I don't think people can argue Loveland was pretty defenseless, had another guy wrapped around him, was facing back towards his own line of scrimmage going down backwards. Um, You saw the, I think it must have been the safety or one of the backers coming from behind, lower his helmet to make the tackle. 
um, in a pretty crown of the helmet spearing type stance um, and, you know, didn't hit Loveland's helmet. No one's saying that didn't hit Loveland's neck, um, hit Loveland's back shoulder area. Kind was of like not a malicious play. Was not, I, I don't think it was I malicious. I don't think it was malicious. I don't think it was malicious, but I will say, I think it's the exact type of hit that football is trying to get rid of by making targeting. That I would agree with. So because what I guess this, I'm trying to say this, is, this I don't want to, I don't want to paint this. I don't want to paint this for this TCU player saying he's a dirty no, player. Absolutely he's not a dirty not. player. But um, it's the hit that they're trying to get out of the game. Yes, but the yes, and and so so I you know just like the other call we talked about, I've seen excerpts from rule books that kind of point to both things. You know, a lot of them include the head or neck area. Um, and so you could argue that, you know, this crown of the helmet spearing motion definitely went to his back, but you know, then there's also the category of when you're a defenseless player. And so I think there was a couple reasons that this could have been targeting. In my opinion, it was one of the more targeting targetings, like one of the more, uh, calls that I would have leaned towards targeting on the wheel of targeting as it spins. Um, you can never expect a targeting call in college. You can never bank on it. It's just the way it works. Um, but I, I would have leaned targeting on that one. I don't think it really changes the game for Michigan. Michigan gets an automatic first down. They get the ball around, I think, the 40 of TCU with 20 seconds on the clock. I mean, we saw crazier things happen in that game. A touchdown is certainly one of the possible options, but I don't think that flips it to a Michigan win by any means. But it was an interesting way to end a game on a targeting review on a hit that looked really questionable and definitely could have gone the way of targeting. Yeah, so um, watching it live, I said, oh, man, that's going to be targeting. Um, and I, what surprised me most, and I would love to be behind the scenes with the referees and the communication between the on-field referees and whoever's in the booth when they're doing this, is why initiate a review if you're not going to call it? Exactly. Why do all that in that moment? Like, like why if you're, I don't care whether it's the rule or not, like just don't. Cause it comes, if it comes to the booth, there has to be an amount. I would think of, I get it. The refs want to get out of there. <laughs> I get it. I'm just, I'm calling how I see it. I totally, I totally get it. They want, it's been a ridiculous game. <laughs> just get out of there. Don't go to review. And so initially they didn't review. It was not a quick review. It didn't go right to review. It seemed like, oh, turnover on downs. And then the players were kind of hanging on the sideline for a little bit. A little bit of time passes. And then there was can, no flag then, on the field. And, yeah. And then you get the graphic that says, oh, it's under review, which is interesting because, you know, I was pretty defeated at this point. When it happened live, I said, oh, that's targeting. They didn't call it. I was like, okay, whatever. They're just kind of. I mean. They were kind of in games over mode. Yeah, that's what, it that's was, how I felt. It was so, so not a targeting situation initially that I thought that for some reason they were reviewing the forward pass nature to see if there was going to be a penalty and TCU was going to snap the ball for their kneel down on a different yard line. Yeah. Like, the announcers were like, oh, this, uh, this one might be targeted. Yeah. So now when it went to – so I was like, oh, it's targeting, whatever. Didn't think it was going to happen. When it went to review – I kind of set up a little bit because I was like, oh, if they're going to, if, if their buddy in the booth calls down and says, we have to review this, they're going to call targeting, but they didn't. And so I think the, really- yeah, the initial reaction from everyone, I mean, you heard it from the announcers, you saw it online was like, yeah. I, I think even from TCU fans, like, 
oh, oh shit, this looks like targeting. Yeah. So I thought that that made me think, okay, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna pull the trigger and call this year. Um, do I think it affected the game? No. Do I think it was probably targeting? Yeah. And that's where the game goes. Uh, that's the last play of the game. TCU takes a kneel down, um, wins a very deserved game. Um, crazy season for TCU. So impressive going to the national championship um, in a year where you can definitely say they can beat anyone. Um, so they've got a shot at it. And um, Michigan, I think final thoughts on the season are uh, a really, really damn good season. Probably the best stretch of two years of Michigan football, arguably ever. Um, and just looking incredible um, as a program, definitely on the upswing. But wow, what a frustrating way to end it when you see how everything lines up. You saw how the Georgia-Ohio State game played out. You saw that even despite making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, coming down the stretch, you still had a chance to win the game. And it was just one mistake too many um, at a chance to play for a national championship. Your goal that you set out at the beginning of the year just came up a little bit short with your worst game in a long time. And, and that one, you know, there's some losses that don't hurt so much because you were just there and it was fun to be there. I put the Georgia loss last year in that category, you know, didn't really expect to do much. This year, a little bit different. Expectations a little bit different. I think we all know that Michigan could have won that game if they had done just a little bit more than Michigan typically does. Um, and so I think this one's going to sit with a lot of Michigan fans for a long time as uh, one of the ones that got away and uh, some what-ifs with this season. But, you know, proud of the seasons that Michigan's put together here. Program is in a much, much better place than it's been in a long time. And um we'll see how it shakes out with harbaugh as there are active rumors of him nfl versus michigan but um michigan seems to be in a really good spot for a while to come here you know so first of all i would say in the modern era best two years of michigan football i would still say 97 98 only three losses those two those two seasons and you have a national title included in there and there have been a couple of seasons where michigan went undefeated back to back but they were years and years and years ago um you know I think this is such this season is such a good example of how fast expectations can change for a team. I mean, last year was such a nice surprise to watch Michigan football. This year became that became that surprise late in the season. Um, and then, you know, there was that letdown of, of disappointment for, for this game. It just hurts the way we lost. That's what hurts. I, I don't, th I think that, um, that I'll admit this year was the first year where I felt like, man, we, if we get hot, we could get, we could get Ohio state or Georgia. Don't know if I would favor us. We'll be an underdog, but we could get them. Um, and it's the first time I've ever felt that way where I was like, this is a real, we have a real chance. Yeah. Real and chance. it just hurts that the bully ball we played, the scheming we had, the we had resiliency against TCU. I'll give us that. But the way we were doing it was was just so much fun to watch, and it gave me a new belief in oh we're behind, but we'll come back. And I had that for the first time. I had that. I wasn't that pessimistic fan where I was like ah we blew this one. I mean, you texted me mid game when I said we're in trouble, and you said no, we're fine. 
and it looked like we were going to be. Yeah, and I, I texted you, I think we might be. And, you know, so that's that's what hurt more is like, man, um, kind kind of blew it. Don't want to don't want to use that terminology, but I mean, kind of. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we would all kind of agree. Um, and you know, it kind of feels like some Michigan sports journeys of recent memory where the draw kind of falls your way. Maybe in March Madness, I think the draw kind of fell Michigan's way this year. I mean, Michigan, the two seed in the Final Four, definitely got the matchup that every other team in the playoff would have wanted with TCU. Um, and you know, I think that's a testament to TCU. You've been underrated and undervalued all year I mean people thought you were the least competitive team in this final four um, and you definitely showed up and shut all that up um, so that's got to feel great um, but Michigan had what teams wanted in the final four which was a good matchup a good chance at the national championship and they couldn't get the job done and that's going to hurt a little bit but um, you just keep fighting from here agreed so let's talk about the the relief the relief the sweet sweet relief i mean we can just talk for a moment about how uh homeristic kevin and i can be at times and that usually falls around michigan's struggle for prominence in the big 10 versus teams like ohio state and it just felt like michigan was going to undo what they had worked for decades for which was finally some control over the big 10 and some uh, time at the pedestal above Ohio State, and it looked for a moment as Ohio State battled Georgia in this game that Michigan was going to beat Ohio State. They were going to make the playoff. They were going to win the Big Ten, and Ohio State somehow snuck in and was going to make it to the national championship and was going to beat the team that beat Michigan, and it was all going to be over. Um, so I think Kevin and I both uh, huge size of relief at the way um, it ended up being Georgia TCU. You know what's crazy? I genuinely felt disappointed, though, because this will go down again as another SEC year if Georgia wins. And it wasn't. It It wasn't. wasn't. It was not. The best division in college football by a mile was the Big Ten East. By a mile. And if you want to argue what the best conference in football was this year, you're definitely not just saying SEC without also saying Big Ten and maybe even Big 12. So this was definitively not an SEC year. Um, And you're right. Sometimes the national champion writes the history. Um, And yeah, there's a game left to play, and I surely hope it's not SEC. But yeah, bummer the way that worked out. Two Big Ten teams go down in the semifinals when I thought they both and you know, we're getting a little hot of ourselves, but when they both had a realistic chance to win, you could I mean, argue both teams looked better, whatever that means. You know, it's a very nebulous, arbitrary, subjective term in their games. Um, so, I mean, let's talk about the Georgia Ohio state game. I mean, yeah, like, like you said, I think both teams look better. I think you could think about if those games were played 10 times, which teams win those games. And, I definitely have an answer that's more in Michigan's favor for Michigan TCU. And I think I feel the same about Ohio state, Georgia. I mean, Ohio state, and and we're kind of going to start from the end and go back to the beginning, but Ohio state ended this game on a missed field goal that Ruggles makes like 80% of the time or something like that. 
Um, big moment, missed a big kick, but Ohio State had a greater than 50% chance of winning that game when that ball was snapped. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I also thought Ohio State just looked better. The death Um, machine was active again. They did not look like they looked in Columbus versus Michigan. They looked every bit the Ohio State that you fear when you look at them on paper and you think, oh, crap, we have to play Ohio State. We have to play these guys. They were those guys. Yeah, 100%. So let's let's start. um, Let's just walk through it a little bit here. Um, you probably have, you're a little better at the, the play by play recap than I am. If you, uh, do you have anything here for each? I mean, I have a, a general here, but I don't know if you have a, yeah. So, uh, while play. I usually, while I usually like to know the play by play, uh, the, both of these games, Michigan TCU and Ohio state, Georgia, um, fell square in the middle of a busy work shift. I got lucky and, watched almost the entirety of Michigan game. God bless. Um, But uh, I watched the Ohio State game in reverse, in backwards order, flipped around, (laughs) rewinding to see what the heck happened at the end of the second quarter. (laughs) Um, It was all over the place for me watching it on um, computers as I walked around. Well, I got, well, then let me tell you, because I got to soak in every single second of it from my couch. Um, and we'll go through this one a little bit quicker just to talk about over, overall, you know, themes and um, the way teams looked. But um, Ohio State uh, comes out uh, passing game with um, Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Egbuka just making plays right out of the gate. Just storm out, march down the field. Uh, several times, uh, in, in my opinion, look, uh, much better than Georgia. I believe we're up 21 seven at one point, Georgia makes a little bit of a run at it here to get it back to 28, 24 at halftime, but you really had to feel at halftime. Like Georgia felt like they were lucky, you know, they were, they were, it felt like Georgia was keeping up with Ohio state. So they're only, they're only down four at halftime come into the third quarter, Ohio state scores, Again, now Georgia does match them um, later in the fourth, but at this point, Ohio State connects on a field goal. It really started to feel like it was getting out of hand at 38-24, and then Marvin Harrison Jr. goes down. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I saw 38-24 and the time left in the game, and I was like, oof. My, you know, my heart dropped a little bit. I was like, yep, there it goes. Ohio State in. And yeah, well, I mean, this, when it was 38-24 and Ohio State had the ball, I was like, Georgia, you got to be careful. I mean, this is, you're going to get, you might, you're going to get your. You might get splattered. You're, you're going to get the Michigan-Ohio State game. They're about to punch you in the mouth one more time and you're about to get KO'd. Um, so of course, again, controversial targeting call, controversial call in the biggest moment of the big game yet again. Yep. This one, just to show I'm not a homer, even bigger because it's involving the best player in the game. Yep. And health, safety, all of the things. And there's, and there's time left on the clock. It's a play that could be a score. Yeah. 
So uh, Stroud throws it to Marvin Harrison Jr. back of the end zone. Um, throws, eh, lobs, butterflies. Yeah. It's kind, kind of a of blooper. A, so he lofts it, really. There, yeah. There's a bunch of air under the ball. Slow, of slow course, play. Of course, like, you know, Marvin Harrison's like in perfect position. It has his toes down. Great, like Incredible that he even put himself in position to make a play dude, on this he ball. He is incredible, dude. He's insane. He is so good. A freak. Oh, my God. He's, he's going to so be a natural NFL wide receiver. Yeah. Oh, dude. He's he's incredible. Um, And the Georgia the, uh, defensive player basically comes kind of in. Kind of comes from the center of the end zone. Directly facing um, Harrison. And, again, contacts him in a way when, you know, technically he's a defenseless player. Um, the Georgia player's helmet contacts, again, a combination of the shoulder pad and the helmet, um, ultimately ruled no targeting and Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the game. And man, did that, did that just kind of feel like, you know, this is kind of what I was talking about with the Quinton Johnston thing a couple of games ago with TCU. It's a little different because Ohio State has five-star guys everywhere. But there's something about your team's psyche when your Superman goes out. Oh, yeah. You're your like, best I think player, I really your most talented guy. hard when you see, like, he's that dude. And that's Marvin Harrison. Like, he is clearly, arguably the best player in the country. He might be the best college football player in the country this year. And you see him go out and you're just like, yeah, I know that like, I understand that when we're up two touchdowns about to score again, possibly, and we have, you know, a stable of wide receivers, we should be okay. But it's, to me, it's different when that's like, you look at that guy and you're like, oh my God, wait, what? And it, it just felt like you could, you could feel the momentum slowly build. From there, Georgia did what Georgia does and got the game all square, pretty much. You know, came down to that field goal. Yep. So then, you know, of course, basically Stetson Bennett having a pretty average game up until that point, absolutely. Uh, Stetson turn, Bennett mode? Turns it on. Uh, long touchdown to um, Orion, I believe his name is Smith, who is an absolute speedster. Um, out of the powerhouse Lakeland in Florida, they have multiple wide receivers from Lakeland, uh, or they have a guy committed from Lakeland again. That they're it's a big powerhouse down there in Florida. Um, Classic Kev knowledge bombs being dropped here. They're um, and then they're basically probably their best wideout who's missed a couple games this year. Mitchell um, gets gets the go ahead score, puts him up one. Uh, Ohio State gets the ball back. Stroud uh, completes a couple passes. He gets one out to Fleming. Um, then has a great scramble to get them within field goal range. That was a really nice run. And I believe it was a long 40 or exactly a 50 yarder. And unfortunately, uh, you know, Kirby obviously ices them. And then uh, Ruggles just just shanks it left. Um, Got a feel for that guy. That's pretty tough. Um, yeah, I mean, great for them all year. Just to tell- Yep. And Georgia escapes with a one-point win. Um, and, you, you know, you just felt like... Also, let's mention C.J. Stroud. 
looked like Dan Marino. <laughs> yeah, hell of a game. Of game. Like, insane. Showed every bit the NFL prospect he is. Like, puts the ball exactly where, you know, where you want it to be. I'm telling and you, when you when you give Stroud time to be Stroud, he is for sure the best player in the country. I mean, out of in a clean pocket with some room to work, he's the most accurate quarterback in probably the past few years. You can make an I think you can make a strong argument that at their players playing at their best, Ohio State might have the two best players in the country. Mm-hmm. In Stroud and Harrison, I might believe. And, yeah, and it's like they are. I wouldn't say they're no Corum um, in there. I put Corum up there, and Corum. It's it's like well, they're, they're, we're similar in those ways, right? It's like when Michigan's O line's cooking and Corum's cooking, you can't stop it. But when Stroud and Harrison are cooking, oh my! Like you feel like every play could be an eighty yarder. You know, GD. it's basically yeah. just like game over. Yep. Um. But that's not the way it went because it came down to Ruggles' foot. It was a little bit of a biff. It went a little left. Yeah. yeah. Feel for the kid. Big moment. Big yeah. miss. Uh, but the game came down to that, and that's honestly what decided the game at the end of everything. I yeah. mean, Ohio State had the chance to win, and it didn't happen. And, you know, big overall takeaways from this one. Number one, I personally – so those of you who don't know – my dad graduated from Notre Dame. My mom went to Ohio State. My family's from Northwest Ohio. So I, I do hear a decent amount of, you know, Buckeye talk. And none of my family has been saying, you know, Ryan Day should be fired. They're obviously a small camp of people who were saying that from before. What a game plan. I mean, when before these weird injuries and stuff, I mean, this guy clearly knows, especially offensive football and what he has going on with the quarterbacks plus recruiting and heartline doing with the wide receivers at Ohio State is pretty special. Um, they were cooking. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he that's the best in offense. I would dare, I would, I would say this halfway through the third quarter, that's probably the best in offense has looked against Georgia in the last two years, period. Anybody. I would say Ryan Day had the best coaching job of any team in their semifinal game. Um, you know, obviously just a little bit above uh, Sonny Dykes, who coached a great game. But I think Ryan Day had a brilliant game plan in this. He worked to Ohio State's strengths, uh, managed to cover on D in a way that they couldn't against Michigan. So big adjustments in this game defensively um, and looked really good. I mean, yeah, I thought they should have won the game. Yep. And yeah, and like you were saying, I think big takeaways from this game um, the vibes around Ohio State program must be much, much better. Um, that Michigan loss doesn't sting nearly as much. I mean, you just went head to toe with the best of the best in college football this year, kind of erased a lot of some of the negative vibes that you ended your season on. Um, yeah, I mean, Ohio State's not going anywhere. They're going to be right back in the mix for the college football playoff next year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, it's funny how we were talking about expectations and, you know, as a Michigan fan, you came into the season, oh, we'll be pretty good this year, but, you know, we don't know if we can replicate. Last year was pretty special, especially the ed- edge rushers we had. And all of a sudden, boom, we're disappointed that we're not in the championship, right? Expectations change, all this stuff. And you feel like we kind of missed an opportunity. That was when I was, wa- you know, I'm watching the end of the Georgia game. As, you know, the kick missed as right as it strikes midnight, which is funny. Uh, wild, just my, a wild yeah, college football moment biggest, in history. My there. biggest, my first thought was, "Damn, 
Stroud out of here, that's a missed window. That hurts, man. If you're if you're an Ohio State fan, to look at Stroud plus this to with these wide receivers and him, you in like the prestige they've had, you gotta take one home. That that is that's talent that even at Ohio State will not be immediately replicated. They won't replicate like not immediately. I know McCord, Kyle McCord, five star, um, you know, big big time recruit. Um, he won't be he won't be this level of Shroud immediately. No one can be. Yeah, I mean it's just like you said crazy how expectations change i mean two weeks ago we were talking about how um ryan day was probably on the hot seat over the next game against michigan how um ohio state really hadn't competed for anything inside their own conference um we're very much so on the outside looking in and have utah to thank for even getting a chance to play in this game and how expectations change ohio state looks like the better team in that game ohio state looks like a team that could win a national championship again um and yeah it's just wild the waves that that uh expectation uh took over like the last couple of weeks absolutely Shall we talk a little bit about the national championship game we're looking forward to on Monday then? Yeah, absolutely. TCU, Georgia. So let's, let's start here, Pat. I think we all, I mean, you know, our listeners are college football fans and we, you know, I'm sure they all have the same thought, you know, 13 point favorites, you know, Georgia. What? So you're Sonny Dykes, you celebrate, What's your first thought on how are we going to do this? I have a couple ideas on what what I'm thinking he's going to do, but what are you, what's your game plan for TCU? To start, I think you start the game with the exact same game plan you had against Michigan. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You're looking at the beast. You're looking at Georgia, but you don't go away from what got you here. I mean, you did it against Michigan, a team where your styles weren't supposed to match, where the three, uh, where the three-five-five wasn't supposed to stand up against an offensive line that could match like Michigan. I think a lot of people thought they would have to break out of it a lot more than they did. Um, I, so I think your game plan is you play you. You use Max Duggan, you use Quentin Johnston, you use your electric playmakers. You see if you can get them open in the open field, like you have been able to all year. Um, you try and still move the ball on the ground like they have been able to all year. You utilize Duggan to every last bit of juice that they've used him down the stretch here. You use his legs constantly, make them spy him from the very beginning, and you just play TCU ball. And if Georgia starts to mash and you need to adjust, well, you know what? I think they've had probably like six weeks to think of how to adjust to a team that's going to mash you a little bit, and I'm sure they have ideas in the tank. Okay, I I agree with that for the most part. Yeah, let me hear your take. I think yeah, you've got yeah, a little couple, a little bold strategy. Be, couple specifics I'd be thinking about if I were Georgia. I mean, if I were TCU playing Georgia, um, I think the TCU has the ability to come back on teams, but I wouldn't want to do it against Georgia. Just the just the way that they're set up. 
I think that the, one of the biggest mistakes people make about this Georgia team that was very evident against Ohio State when I watched them earlier this year is they have a good defense. They don't have an elite pass rush specifically. They don't have elite edge rushers. They don't have those guys anymore like they did last year. So um, what that spells to me is a very specific combination I would try to exploit multiple times. And that is um, one of uh, Georgia's better corners is Kylie Kylie Ringo. Um, if you watch a lot of college football, you probably know the name. If you don't, you probably don't know who he is. But he's kind of this like um, bigger athletic corner that um, is a high-risk, high-reward player often who can often have these amazing interceptions but gives up a ton of penalties and gets burned a lot. I'm going deep whenever he's on Johnston, period. Like if Quentin Johnston is is they line up and you think you have you think you have man to man, I'm I'm throwing that ball deep almost every time just based on the, the the game of odds that Ringo never lines up with guys who are like 6-4. He was getting torched by Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. Um that would be my first thing. Exploit that specific matchup when I can get a man man to man coverage. And I think I'll be able to go deep specifically because I don't, I think that TCU's line is actually pretty decent and Georgia doesn't have that edge rush. Jalen Carter, who had to sit out with fatigue a couple of times, which is weird, uh, is an interior defensive lineman. So he runs up the side, up the, up the middle, excuse me. So um, Max Duggan is pretty mobile. He can get away from an interior pass rush better than he can against those edge rushing guys. You know what I mean? If he, if it comes in the blind side, he can't see him. Uh, so I think they're going to try to do that. And I think that they'll often try to roll Duggan out for, for that reason. Get away from the interior rush. I love that idea with Duggan rolling out. I think specifically another way that TCU works that probably at least a few times in this game. And, and specifically, I, I kind of like going at Ringo specifically after watching him in that semifinal. Um I think you just get guys doing double moves. You know that Georgia's big strength this year isn't their time to the quarterback. And you know you have Duggan who can extend plays. Get guys doing all sorts of long extended routes and just have Duggan run for his life a little bit because these Georgia guys aren't sticking with guys on long, crazy post routes with the with the type of um, pass structures and routes that TCU puts out there. Those guys get open for explosive plays not because they're the greatest route runners in the game beating up on bad corners. It's because Duggan extends plays in the pocket to the point where, yes, a receiver is going to beat a guy if you give him a few seconds. Now, I think one of the questions is that Georgia still has very athletic middle-tier guys, linebackers, outside linebackers, um, you know, big, strong uh, safeties, guys who can spy Duggan. So I think if they scheme it correctly, they could spy him decently well. Um, so his running may not be um, massive scramble plays unless you hit some of those deep balls and they don't have the guy to spy him. So if you can hit on some of the deep balls, I think that'll, that'll open that up a little bit. Um, but I'm wondering if the, they might try to do more just design quarterback runs, just like right, right out of the get-go. Maybe not, maybe not a scramble. I think it'll be he'll he'll have some mobility in the pocket, and he'll and he'll, they might do design quarterback runs, but I'm not convinced that they will. He will be able to scramble and get those 15, 20 yard runs as much. 
I mean, honestly, like one one of my big takeaways from this game is, I think TCU had a lot of things go its way against Michigan that could have been coin flip type moments, and I don't think they get so lucky again in this one against Georgia. Um, I think a couple things don't go their way like they did against Michigan, and I think Georgia probably wins. Uh, you know, more than a touchdown would be my guess in this game. Um, I think spreads 12 and a half. Um, I'm not sure I would take either team against those numbers in a national championship, but um, if you gave me like minus seven, I think I'd definitely take Georgia. Um, And the reason why is I think that specifically in key moments, we saw that Michigan was forced into a situation where they had to alter the way they wanted to play defense and put a lot of pressure on Duggan strictly out of necessity. I mean, they were running out of drives and running out of time. They needed to try and force a big play, a big turnover. I think it was aimed at trying to, you know, get a sack, a fumble, a turnover. I mean, Michigan needed the ball. Um, And that worked really well, nearly almost every play for Michigan. And Duggan really kind of struggled with that type of pressure. It takes TCU's offense, um, a a few seconds to get those routes to develop, to get those big explosive plays. And if you look at the play where Duggan um, and Johnson got an explosive play um, in the face of the blitz, it was Duggan running for his life behind the line of scrimmage, catching a late crossing six yard route from Johnston where Johnston ended up, yes, in a situation where you want Johnston 100 times out of 100 in open space with one guy to make miss. But also, I mean, he had a chance to tackle him short of the line of scrimmage there for a three and out and Michigan's getting the ball. I mean, so do I think that they hit in those moments with such regularity against Georgia? No, I think if you play that moment like five times, I think Johnston gets tackled in a lot of them. The guy or the guy like forces him back to the middle of the field and it's like a 15 yard play. So I think those moments, that's just one example. It's an anecdote, but I think those type of moments are going to go a little more even, a little more towards Georgia in this game. And I think, again, I think Georgia's the better team here across the board. But yeah, I'm rooting like hell for the frogs, man. Come on, I'm rooting for the frogs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They do too. Um, I think they need another big game out of D. Winters. I don't know where that guy came from, but he had a massive uh, game against uh, Michigan. And yeah, I think that the turnovers are going to be key. You got to get you got to get Stetson um, a little uncomfortable. Um, but I think the key to I think the key for um tcu on defense field goals hold them to field goals that's that has to be that has to be your game plan you have to you have to go straight for the bend not break and the you know let's shorten the field down okay now they're at the 15 that's fine they might move the ball a little bit okay now we've got a condensed field now their speed isn't as important you know is uh do we know if Darnell Washington's playing? Uh, I don't know. Uh, so also, like TCU isn't a good red zone defense. I mean, Michigan had an atrocious game in the red zone, but TCU is not a good red zone defense. And uh, in my opinion, I think the three five five is going to not look very good against Georgia's offense in the red zone. Um, 
so I almost think in my mind, I almost think TCU needs a, a strategy like in the Michigan game where you just try and not let them move down the field at all. You hope that those linebackers fill those gaps and you get them in third and long a bunch and make them punt because I, I you know, I know TCU won the red zone matchup against Michigan, but I still hate that matchup for TCU. Yeah. Yeah. I still hate it too. I do think that if I had one specific X factor it would be Darnell Washington. So for those who don't know, Georgia's built pretty similar to Michigan in the sense that they don't use this like a traditional spread with like these big wide outs. They've got a couple fast guys. Their best wide receiver, his name is uh, Mitchell, who is kind of their, he's pretty quick, but he's got some size. He's kind you're of not a lad guy? You're not a lad, you're not a lad guy? Lad McCongi? Yeah, lad, lad's, lad's good as well. But lad and then um, Smith are more of like kind of speedy tool guys. They use a lot of their tight ends. They're probably their premier uh, tight ends, especially pass catchers, Brock Bowers. Um, Dog. Uh, he, uh, you know, Best decent size, on the like probably 6'4", 230 or so, but very, very quick. They even actually hand it off to him sometimes. They'll do like an end round or line him up in the backfield. Their other tight end, who's also an NFL prospect, is Darnell Washington. So Darnell Washington um, is more of like an inline blocking tight end who is absolutely massive like if you see this guy in person um you're gonna think that he is actually a tackle so he's listed here at 6'7 270 um that might actually be a little small on his weight but i mean he is massive and they use him really well in their run scheme where um he is almost that like a little bit speedier um extra tackle sitting right off of their left or right tackle um, so I think that's really helpful, especially in the red zone. So if he, he, uh, had some ankle injury and it's questionable if he's going to play. So it will be, I'll be interested to see if he actually plays against uh, TCU. And we, we can't just brush, uh, brush by Bowers. I mean, he'll be the best player on the field in the game, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, this guy has, um, Travis Kelsey, um, ish written all over him. Basically, if you want like a comparison, that'd probably be his best comp would be like Travis Kelsey. If you watch a lot of NFL. Well, right, any Matt, final so, takeaways? Uh, well, we're gonna make we're, final takeaways. We're gonna make picks. Oh, okay, you, we can make you picks. Don't get the, you don't get to change the spread down to what you want. Twelve and a half, Georgia or TCU? Well, you know, we you put me in a pickle with moments like this, where it's betting with the head or betting with the heart, and while I like money i also like betting with the heart because i will not watch this game where part of my body is sitting there like oh maybe get those seven points to cover the spread georgia no i'm going full frog i am going full purple full hypnotoad for this game i'm probably taking tcu plus 12 and a half and i'm probably taking tcu money line Okay. Um, and I might take like a little TCU first half. I don't think I'm actually taking TCU money line, but I would bet the Frogs to watch the game. And I do think the Frogs have every chance to cover the spread in this game because I do think that they have shown that they cover the freaking spread all year and they win games that they shouldn't win and they cover when they shouldn't. Um, so why bet against them? So I'll go Frogs. I'll go Frogs 12 and a half and I'll probably take Frogs first half money line or first quarter money line or race to 10 or something like that early.
Okay. Well, just so we have a winner and we have a loser, then I'll take uh, I'll take Georgia and uh, the uh, with the thirteen. Um, but we'll see. You know, I I'm not. I don't think that's as much of a slam dunk. It's a big number. It's just a it's just a huge. You know, I'm surprised it's that high. Honestly, I will say I do think uh, if hey, you're looking. Ten? If you're looking for some plus odds, it wouldn't be a terrible idea um, to take something like Georgia minus 20 in this game, because I think if it's going to be a blowout, it's going more the way of the Bulldogs in this one. But frogs. Yeah. Uh, Any thoughts on the over under in this game? Where did it land? Uh, Do you know? Um, I don't know the over under. Let me look. Off the top uh, of my head. 62 and a half it is now. Um, so with a 12 and a half point spread, that's shaken out to something like Georgia. Oh, this math hurts this time of day. Uh, 35 to 23 puts you at 58. That's pretty close. <laughs> 37 to 37, 24. 37, 25 gets it done. Or get you um, right. Uh, I'll tell you, if I had to make a bet in this game, I think that mo- the safest bet's over. Yeah, I would go over. out of all of them. I think, uh, I think you get a lot of opportunities at the over here. Either a Georgia stomping with the TCU back door, you got TCU keeping it close, and Georgia having to compete and score points. There's a lot of way that points go up on the board in this game. I mean, hell, you saw it in Michigan, TCU, where not a lot of points were being scored, and then all of a sudden it's one of the highest scoring bowl games around. Yep, I, I I like points. I both both I like them and I think they'll happen. Um, one last check in on the emotions. How do you feel heading into watching the national championship game from home? Um, it's not as fun, and it's not. Um, I I think even. Aside from my personal, you know, vested interest, it doesn't seem to be one of the more attractive national championships in recent memory. Uh, you know, I always wonder, and I would love to hear what other what other people think, but there are two games that will always be in college football lore in my developing mind, and that was Miami Ohio State. With Maurice Claret. Just a classic game. Like that to me was like, what a game. And then you got to know what I'm going to say for the next one. Vince Young. Vince Young, dude. Vince Young, USC 06? Right around there, I think. Six. I think it might be right off the top of my head. I think it was 2006. I think, well, hold on. So that would have been... They played that game. I think they played. I think the game was played in early January of 2006, and it was the 2005 season. I think. One of my core memory games in my growing mind, I'm sure it's one of yours too, was uh, at the end of the 2005 season. Uh, USC, Notre Dame, the green jerseys, 
down to the wire. The Bush push. Uh, the fourth and 11, I think, they converted down the sideline. Matt Leinert keeps the drive alive, comes down to the final plays. They fumble out of bounds to keep the clock alive. And then the Bush push. In Notre Dame Stadium. With the green jerseys. When the green jerseys still meant something, with, man. With uh, um, Some of our listeners might not know that Kevin and I both have a little blue and gold Notre Dame blood uh, still in there somewhere. Um, and I, if I remember, that was also the game where the lead-in hype was, we're going to keep the grass line to slow them down. Right, keep the grass long, slow them down. Those fast California offensive boys. Yeah. Oh, that game. Ah, man, that still, shockingly, is one of the losses of a football game I watched as a fan. And this was when I I was growing up. I was a Notre Dame fan growing up. My mom and dad both. uh, My dad went to Notre Dame. My mom went to St. Mary's. Um, so. That is still one of the losses that hurt me the most because, man, did I love watching that game. I was running around the house, uh, and, oh, that one hurt. I was really thinking Notre Dame had that one. But, yeah, I mean, I hope that, you know, TCU – and maybe I'm wrong. TCU has played some, you know, amazing games this year with some amazing finishes. It just doesn't feel like it's one of – just doesn't feel like it's going to really be – one of those classics. Come on, Toad. Shock the world. Show us some action. Give us some noise. Give me something to watch on a Monday night. I don't want Kirby Smart being like, yay. Toads, frogs. Yeah, show me. If I could choose one, if I could choose one person I'm pulling for the most, Max Duggan. Max Duggan, can I just have another one of those Big 12 championship games where it looks like all of his body parts are falling off and he's putting everyone from Texas Christian University on his back and he's going to walk off into the sunset to a big NFL contract? Please give it to me, frogs! Well, that puts a bookend on this episode going over all of the college football playoff semifinals and looking ahead at the national championship Please tune back in next week. In the near future, we will be going over all of the big coaching changes in college football, the transfer portal, recruiting, general vibes, and more. Harbaugh, please stay! Please!